evening. The story of kings in the scripture begins pretty much in 1 Samuel chapter 8, where Samuel, who's considered to be the last judge of Israel, is growing old and the people, all the elders of Israel in verse 4 there, gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, look, you're old. (laughs) Thanks a lot, right? You're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. It's interesting, it didn't displease him that they said you're old and your sons are wicked. It displeased this holy man that they wanted a king other than the Creator God. It displeased him, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. And so God went on to say, I'll pick the king, (laughs) and I'm also going to give some commandments for the king. So he didn't completely let go of his reign as king. And uh, you may recall then that Saul was chosen and anointed by Samuel and following Saul and his oh his plight from a humble leader to an arrogant dispirited ruler uh, David became king and in 2nd Samuel chapter 7 David being only the second king of Israel so we're only on the second king God sent Nathan to him and said, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Now, a more immediate application to that would be Solomon. But there's reference here to the Christ whose throne would be established forever. And so again, God did not completely relinquish his rights to rule and reign over his people. He just said, I'm going to, they're going to need a more perfect king. And um, when you come to Zechariah, just shortcutting a few, uh, lots of scriptures actually that talk about this. Um, Zechariah the prophet told Israel, um, after they came back from the exile, to rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, chapter 9, verse 9. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And when you come to the New Testament, Matthew, the second chapter, we read of the wise men who came from the east, And they came into Jerusalem and uh, to Herod the king. And uh, they said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east. And so this Bible 
story of kings goes from God creator, king of all men, all things, to his people demanding a human king, to him beginning to foretell of the days when he would send his son to reign more perfectly, justly, and bringing them salvation as they were without a king in those days, as they had just come through a period of, of captivity and exile. So the promise of a king was, was, was quite a promise for them. And this king would come riding into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. And um, we know him, of course, to be Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we studied a little bit about that this morning when he came into Jerusalem, what he did. He taught in the temple and established his spiritual kingdom. When you come to the book of Revelation, now we're in the last book of the Bible, you come to the book of Revelation, we see him as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We see him as the one who in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 4, John introduced and said, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. There's the just king having salvation and has made us kings and priests to his God and father. To him be glory and, and dominion forever and ever. Jesus Christ is willing to share the spoils. Isaiah even prophesied about that in chapter 53, in the last verse. But he would share his spoils with his brethren. We have a king who loves us, who justifies us, who saves us, and is willing to bring us into this kingdom spiritually now, but also to share it in its fullness, in the reality of heaven, when we leave this earth and when he comes and returns for us and takes us to that place. And yet while we're here, we recognize though we will share a, a reign in the cosmos with him and be, be exalted by him, he has, um, he has established himself as the king of all kings and king of all men. And so right now we are his subjects. We're subject to the king, a king who loves us, gave his life for us, and is going to reward us richly uh, on that great day of his return. This is the king we'll sing to. As Barry leads us in these songs, keep those things in mind and enjoy and lift up your hearts and worship God with all you have. One of the blessings of being able to think about God in these different uh, parables, so to speak, of these different um, illustrations of how we relate to him is that it reveals to us um, the dynamics of our relationship. So the last, uh, last month, the last month that we did a song service, we looked at uh, how God and us relate to him and the fact that he's our father and we are his children. We also talked about God as our creator and us as the created. And Matt just shared with you how Christ is our king and we are his subjects. And the one I want to talk to you tonight about is um, how Christ is our master and we are his servants. Now, um, our goal is twofold. One is that we would understand how to relate to God, how to relate to Christ. And so seeing these word pictures, seeing these um, illustrations 
teach us the various ways in which we relate to God, whether it's as a parent, as a creator, as a king, as a master. But the second purpose is this, that you would actually see him in that role as one who is worthy of worship. And that's not always the case. Think about um, people with parents that have not had a good experience with their parents who would hear that God is like a parent and not immediately say that God is worthy of worship because he's like a parent. Maybe they've had a bad experience with a parent. Or how about a person who is grown up in a community or a culture where they had maybe a monarch rule or dictatorship and they hear that Jesus is a monarch, Jesus is a king, Jesus is the sole rule and reign of the government of his kingdom, and they might think that that's not a good idea, that that's not worthy of worship. We have to ask ourselves, not only do we understand how we relate to him through these vignettes, these pictures, but also in them, is he worthy of worship? The one that I'm going to share with you tonight, master and servant, or better translated, master and actually slave, um, brings to us some cultural challenges to accept. Uh, the phrase master and slave. Um, some people in here, some of our population here tonight, um, have grown up in a time and a place and a culture in which um, being subject to somebody doesn't really cause them to bristle much, doesn't cause them much problem. My guess is that it would be most of those that are a little bit older and the generations that are here that when they hear Jesus is a master and we are his subjects, his bondservants, his slaves, they don't necessarily just bristle at that thought. But there are some people that bristle at the thought of Jesus being a master and us being his slaves. I believe the 17th century transatlantic um, slave trade brings us some great difficulty in understanding that metaphor. But also just generically speaking, the idea of sin, that we self-govern, that we self-rule, our very nature bristles at the thought that somebody is a master over us. And to that point, Paul argued with you and me this way in Romans chapter 6 when he said, to whom we present ourselves, slaves to obey, we are that person's slave. And his logic is this. Here's his logic. Catch this. Everybody serves somebody. This notion of human autonomy, which means I don't serve anybody. I'm free from service of anybody. I just do what I want. I'm liberated, is actually not logically sound. We all are slaves to something. And that's why Jesus would say, um, no one can serve two masters. Everyone has a master. And the question is, is your master worthy of your worship? Now, the best way for us to understand bondservant or servant and master um, is probably best understood um, in our context as someone who would be like a boss to us. You know, the, the idea of being a servant in the times in which Jesus lived um, was a little bit more normal in society than it is today, especially as I spoke to you about um, some of the cultural problems we have with that word. But, you know, in the time in which Jesus lived, about one-third of the Roman population were what they would call slaves. And the term bondservant or slave referred to someone who just voluntarily served others, but it usually referred to one who was held in permanent servitude. And under Roman law, a bondservant was considered to be the owner's actual property. 
Um, slaves essentially had no rights and could be even hurt or um, judged or even killed with impunity to their owners. So this bond servant um, is someone who would be subservient to at the entire disposal to of his actual master. Um, the Hebrew word for bondservant we see in the Old Testament had the similar connotation as well. Um, but the Mosaic law allowed for an indentured servant to become a bondservant voluntarily. In Exodus 21, if a person found their master to be worthy, to be someone that they loved and adored, someone that they didn't want to leave, after serving their time as an indentured servant, they could go to that master and say, I would like to stay with you for my life. Uh, and that as, as a ritual to show that sign, they would go to the doorpost and they would take an owl and they would nail their ear to the doorpost to, as a sign that they would want to stay with this master for their life. And so that's why we have that song. We don't often sing it, but it's pierce my ear. Oh Lord, my God, take me to your door this day. What we're saying is you are a master of worthiness, that one that I would like to serve. So as we kind of conclude, think about it this way. Um, in your situation, maybe in your workplace, if you, if you work and you have a boss, um, it's kind of strange for us to think about a boss being somebody so worthy of adoration and worship. Most of the time we relate to our boss in, um, we might have a decent relationship or even a good relationship with them, but as someone that we would just bow down and adore and worship, what does it take for you, think about it this way, what would it take for you to say, to the person who is your boss, I adore you, I worship you. What would it take for your boss? What would your boss have to do for you to think that way? Some of you are smirking right now, like, <laughs> think about it. You know, you know, most of us relate to our boss like we got you know, ESPN.com or Facebook up and they walk by and we cook a spreadsheet to like jump up on our computer and we try not to get caught, right? And we, we just hope that they're happy with us and they stay at an arm's length and we, don't want our name called by them because if we get called by them, we probably have a problem. What would it take for you to look at your boss and say, I would work for you even if you didn't pay me. Who you are as a person, I fall before and I adore you. How many of you feel that way about your boss right now without getting in trouble? It's strange, right? But when we think about Jesus as our Lord, as our master, has he when you think about him as master, earned from you the worthiness of your worship in that light, as one to whom you present yourselves ready to obey, wholly possessing you, owning you, and you serving him. Is he someone who has earned that right? See, most of us relate at an arm's length to our boss because of the fear that we have to them. You know, oftentimes maybe there's a little bit of gristle in that relationship, some frustration. They have expectations that we never can meet and they're always sort of miscommunication. And that boss oftentimes presents himself or herself in a way that they are disgruntled or disappointed in the workers and want more out of them. But can you imagine a boss that would say, I totally see your inefficiencies, your deficiencies, your inabilities, and your difficulties. And in light of those, I will make up for you what you cannot do. I'll do that for you. Not many bosses that I know do that, right? Take the blame for all that you do wrong instead of throwing you under the bus. Make up for things that you can't do. Step in when you're not there. 
without a blink of an eye and say, I'll gladly do that for you so that you will stay with me. That's the kind of master that we have. So when you think about, as we sing here in just a moment, Jesus as my master, ask yourself, in that relationship, is he worthy to be worshipped because he's a master? All right, let's sing together. Paul asks the Corinthians in chapter 14, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding. I want to encourage you to sing more. We're trying to sing a little bit more as a church, taking an evening like this. Um, fairly frequently, I guess to sing together a little more. Well, I want to encourage you to sing at home. If you're a parent, I especially encourage you to sing at home. It's one of the best ways to teach your children how to worship God, our King, and our Master, and to um, express ourselves emotionally, emotionally so. We keep ourselves together pretty good in church. We do all things decently in order, but sometimes we're stiffer in boards. I think God has given us song to express uh, praise from within our hearts, set it to melody and melody of how we feel. And we've done that tonight. Uh, our singing has been, uh, I think, expressing a growing church lately. I appreciate Keith Ward um, uh, putting, putting the effort in that he's been to really make our song services great and uh, the willingness of our song leaders to, to uh, choose songs that are relevant to what we're studying or doing so that we can sing with the understanding. It's a wonderful thing. I appreciate it all. And uh, I feel like I've worshiped God tonight. I hope you do too. But we want to serve God too. And so the invitation goes out to you if you're not a Christian to receive the gospel call to you that Christ died for you on the cross and was raised by the power of God that you also might live through him. And so that offer stands tonight right now as we stand and sing this song you can respond to the gospel be baptized for the mission of your sins <laughs>